Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mavericks. Thank you for being here with me today. My name is Megan Greathouse and I'm your host. I hope you are all doing well. We are having kind of a rainy, dreary day here in St. Louis, but you know what? It's not going to stop us from getting things done. And today I got the chance to talk to two people who really know how to get things done. I got to chat with Alan and Melissa Yu, a husband-wife investing couple who started back in 2016 after getting a little bit of mentorship with buying a 54 unit with one other partner. So just them and that partner went in completely, um, all their savings into this 54 unit. They managed it for two and a half years, self-managed it, made sure they were knew, knew what they were doing, and then sold that and parlayed it into six more deals um, totaling over 600 units in about a year and a half after that. So they did it all on their own at first, then brought in investors after they kind of tested the waters and knew what they were doing. Um, and they actually decided to do a vertically integrated asset and property management model with their company. So there's going to be so much for you guys to learn from this couple here today. Um, they've done a lot. They've done it quickly. They've learned fast. And a lot of it was learning by doing. And they self-manage, of course, with a team that they've built over time. And they'll talk about that too. But I think there's a lot here that we haven't talked about with some of the other folks who have been on yet. So um, buckle up, get your notebook out, and let's go talk to Alan and Melissa. Before we get started, let's take this opportunity to get connected. You can find me on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor. You can find Megan on Instagram at Part-Time Empire and our show on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks. We're also both on LinkedIn. And if you're a multifamily investor, a multifamily syndicator, a mom and pop owner, want to partner with us on a deal, or even have a deal you want to sell, get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Shoot us a message through Instagram or LinkedIn, and let's get to know each other. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mavericks. I am here today with Alan and Melissa Yu. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Great. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to share your story because you guys have done a lot in just the past few years. You've scaled quickly and you've done it all while self-managing, which is not something you hear about very much in this larger multifamily space. So I think we have a ton to talk about today, but let's start with just kind of how you got started with real estate. What, what led you to it? Did you do any of the small stuff first? What was your path? So I was actually in grad school at the time, and I was really unhappy with the amount of time I was having to dedicate to studying, So, which was like eight to 10 hours a day. And um, I just decided one day that I was going to quit and do real estate because I've always had a, an interest in real estate. So I just did that on a whim, and um, I started reading different books. Um, and I originally thought that we were, that I wanted to flip houses, but as I read more and more, I realized that buy and holds were the way to build wealth. So I started looking at real estate investing organizations in Houston, and I eventually found a mentorship program. 
So we paid for this mentorship um, and we essentially saw it as, well, we're not paying for my grad school anymore. We're treating this mentorship fee as tuition. And I know that there are different schools of thought on paying for mentorship, but for us, we saw it as, you know, we're paying for practical knowledge and so many people won't bat an eye at paying for an advanced degree that may not necessarily get you a higher paycheck, but you know, we're paying for, we're investing in ourselves and paying for that practical knowledge. So, um, we like, once we got the mentorship, we realized that multifamily is for us a better way to go than single family. So we just skipped the single family and went straight to buying a 54 unit. Wow. And that's, uh, that's big. A lot of people talk about, oh, you started with a, a four unit or six unit. So you kind of made a jump. No, you went from zero to 54. <laughs> so Yeah. Prior, prior to us getting into the real estate game, we really, the only real estate that we had was our, our own, you know, single family house that we lived in. Mm-hmm. We hadn't had a rental or anything like that. And, you know, we just saw a lot of benefits to multifamily and and we decided, hey, you know, with the resources that we had and, you know, especially with the mentorship program and the education that we got, you know, it was make it made a lot of sense to just jump straight in and and learn about it. You know, the, the best way to to learn and how to how to do this and be in this industry is just just to get your hands dirty and, and start with with the on multifamily. Yep. And I love that. And I hope all the listeners really pay attention to that part, because I think there are so many people who get stuck in the analysis paralysis or the prep or trying to get to a perfect plan, which does not exist. There are, there's no perfect plan and any plan you have is going to be disrupted the second you actually start doing because things pop up. So getting in there and doing it really, I mean, exactly spot on. And I love that message that you're bringing. Um, you guys are in the Houston market or is that where you live? Yes. Okay. So you live in Houston. And then what year was this that you decided to start down this real estate path? And how long did you spend kind of in the education mode and, and in this mentorship program before landing that first 54 unit? So we joined the mentorship program in July of 2015. And it took several months for us to land a deal just because as first time investors, you don't have any credibility. Nobody really no one know brokers don't know if you can close a deal or not so we're really not getting the deals um and so i think it was four months before we landed this deal um and then it took another three months to close so we closed in february of 2016. but it took a lot of networking and hounding brokers uh to send send us deals that were in the um range that we were looking for yeah. And what was it that you, what, what was it that you said to brokers or was there anything you showed them? Did you prepare financial documents? What gave you the credibility that inherently newbies are lacking to finally get past that hump and get one of these deals shown to you? Yeah. So as part of that mentorship program, as part of the education that we did, you know, they definitely told us, Hey, we need to prepare a personal financial statement, you know, put together a, a resume, not necessarily, obviously we didn't have real estate, you know, experience, but put together a resume of, you know, your professional experience, because we were both working at a time, Melissa wasn't, was a nurse, I was a a CPA, a consultant. And so putting all that stuff together, saying, look, we have the 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 resources and the wherewithal to, to actually take down this deal. And that's when we also decided to partner up with uh, our prior business partner to buy that 54 unit deal. 
um, because you know one of the reasons why like you mentioned earlier is that we wanted to be able to have some on-site staff to be able to to help us out whereas we don't want to be there fixing toilets and swinging the hammers and you know leasing out units and things like that because obviously all the whole partnership we all had full-time jobs at the time um, obviously now we're doing real estate full-time this is our, our full-time profession and career but at, at that point in time we were still working uh, a w-2 job all, all of us together so okay and and so this partner was this partner in a fairly similar stage as you or did the partner bring some experience that you didn't guys you guys didn't have yet yeah very very similar to us we actually met uh, them through the the same mentoring uh, program you know, and the funny thing about that mentoring program is a, a lot of those people that are in in that um that organization and that um, network are, are older, right? They're 50s, 60s, kind of get nearing retirement and wanting to to get a better retirement versus just the tra traditional stock market, 401k, what have you. But we were both, you know, our partner uh, and not, you know, and us, we were all in our 30s. So we're like, okay, these are the only two other, you know, younger folks. <laughs> Let's go talk to them. <laughs> and so, yes. yeah, they were very similar to us, um, engineers and uh, pharmacists. So. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I'd like to dig into this, this first deal a little bit more, and then I'd, I'd love to see kind of what your path has been since then and talk more about your, your self-management. But let's start with this 54 unit. Give us kind of just the rundown, how you found it, what the numbers were, how you financed it. You know, did you bring in any other um, kind of money partners or was it just you and, and your partner from this mentorship program? Um, and, and then how did it turn out? What did you do with it at the end? Take us through the story. <laughs> okay. So we were specifically looking for a property with 50 or more units because at that um, amount of doors, we could afford a, uh, an on-site property manager and one maintenance man. Um, so it's a it was a Class C asset. We purchased it for $1.82 million. It was actually two separate complexes owned by the same owner, but he was selling it as one one, one property, property. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um so we put about $150,000 into it and um sold it two and a half years later for 2.54 million so that ended up being 101% return on um investment in excess of our initial equity wow that's awesome so that $150,000 you are talking about, that's not, you, you said you put that in meaning in repairs and updating and- Yeah, CapEx, rehab. Value add. Upgrades, value right. add. So, okay. Yeah. And what was your kind of value add plan for this building? Was it kind of just fixing things that needed to be fixed or was there kind of a master, we're going to add this, these certain, um, you know, the playground or the barbecue pits or whatever. What was your plan for that unit or that complex that helped you push that value so high? Yeah, so so interestingly, when we underwrote the deal and evaluated the deal initially, it was really uh, a cash flow deal. You know, we thought we could make you know ten percent cash on cash return, um, and and potentially a little bit higher than that as the years went on. And we were very happy with that first time. First time, you know, investors and multifamily, we were very happy with ten percent plus cash on cash return, and it was like that was fantastic. So then, you know, we basically took. Both of our partner, you know, us and our partner, basically it was essentially all of our life savings, you know, invested in this deal, uh, excess of six hundred thousand combined, 
And then so we said, let's put it in. And the plan was to just, you know, start turning units, making making them a little bit nicer. Um, there was a lot of tenants and residents at that community that were there for, you know, they were longtime residents. So as they, they started turning, we, we started doing some upgrades, vinyl plank flooring, and mostly interior uh, work on that property. Uh, we did paint it outside and didn't do too much kind of exterior rehab because the, the bones of it were, were good. We just painted it a different color because the, the prior ownership uh, had this kind of green color to it. It, was, it wasn't very attractive. Um, no offense to the prior owner, but it wasn't very attractive. Well, one of the things that we like to do when we take over a property is paint the exterior, especially if the property has a poor reputation from before because it, it lets anyone driving by, hey, there's a new owner in town and they could be doing things differently. And so that's what we really try to convey. Yeah, I think we put new signage there as well. Um, you know, did, did some, some exterior cleanup, but mostly interior, interior work as it, the units turned. That makes sense. And then you're just kind of, I mean, you spruce them up and you rent them for that much more each time. And the more you can push that NOI with those higher rents and hopefully maintaining or even lowering expenses, I, I imagine there is a, a big delta in the NOI when you bought it versus the NOI when you sold it that helped it's, with that yeah, value. Exactly. Because we didn't realize, you know, how much really we could push the rents up and then we, we finally figured out okay this market can actually you know afford a hundred dollar maybe a hundred fifty dollar increase in rents and, and so we were able to get somewhere in the, the range of 100 to 125 increase on average across pretty much 80 percent of the the units as we you know held it for two and a half years or so and so yeah that that noi just just went up significantly that's awesome really, really good for us yeah and I am always guilty of, of throwing out the acronyms. For those listening, NOI is net operating income. So that's your, your total income, the revenue coming in, minus your expenses, not including debt servicing. So they, they don't include the, the principal and interest payments in that NOI number, that net operating income number. But it's important to understand because NOI is one of the key figures for understanding the value of these multifamily buildings. And that's the beauty of multifamily too. If you can affect that NOI positively, you're positively affecting the value of your building. That's not necessarily the case in single family or two and four families because those are just based on comps around you. So no matter how much you push your operating income on a duplex, if duplexes around you aren't selling for more than 200,000, yours isn't going to sell for much more than 200,000. So sorry, I wanted to pause and make sure we were kind of clarifying some of that information. All right. And that was the biggest driver for us. Mm -hmm for jumping into multifamily versus single family is the association that you can you right can pause. yeah there's so much more you have you have a lot more control than you would in the smaller space not to mention just the ability to scale so much more quickly i've found that in this small multifamily space where i've been working um the you know the process of the search and then all of the paperwork and the transactional pieces at the beginning and or during a refinance whatever the case is i mean that really can pull and drag on your focus and on your time and i have to do it every single time i want to add something to my to my portfolio if i want to just add two to four units i'm going through that whole process again versus you guys went and did it with 54 units. Now there might've been some slight differences in the transaction time and, and costs, but you got it all done in one fell swoop. 
And so that's what has gotten me so interested and, and Josiah, who's my, my partner in this podcast, so interested in multifamily and why we started this podcast is to, to explore that more deeply, those, those positive differences, those reasons that big multifamily makes sense and share it with others who are kind of on the same train of thought and trying to learn and get themselves into the multifamily space. So yeah, I, I just want to, to <laughs> pause there too. Is it, it's kind of an interesting story because we kind of went a little bit forward. You know, we went multifamily, jumped in with multifamily, and then we kind of took a little bit step backwards just to to kind of you know try it out. Melissa did uh, want to buy a, a few rental houses, and and so she uh, did close on one earlier this or last year, I guess. No, no, this year. Was it this year? Yeah, yeah this year. <laughs> um, and I was just kind of making fun of her. I was like, man, you, you have, you've done so much, you know, analysis and research and work and all this paperwork that's involved and financing the single family house is, is a little tricky because she's the only one that has a W2 income because I don't. And, and so I was just making fun of her that, you know, there's so much work involved in just a single family transaction and closing on that. Whereas, you know, doing very similar transactions, I can close on a 240 unit deal um you know doing very similar amount of work so to speak so yeah. it's it's yeah. interesting very interesting how that <laughs> that works it's funny but i also feel like once you get into this real estate game and the bug has bitten you it can be hard too you know i'm i'm actively focused on finding a larger building for my next deal but then i still have you know people through my network or from you know old direct mail campaigns I've done or whatever, reach out and they're like, hey, I've got these two or three duplexes that I'm trying to offload. Are you interested? And I'm like, well, I guess I could take a look. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to say no to more real estate, right? Because while there are so many exciting things about multifamily, any solid piece of real estate in a good area that you know you can make cash flow is powerful you know it's it's something yeah, it's, it's more than many people do so it's it's hard i feel you melissa i'm with you <laughs> <laughs> but i also understand alan's point so and you know with that let's talk about your journey since that 54 unit kind of give us the the highlight reel of and you can include some lows in there too but of what you've done since that 2016 purchase of the 54 unit sure so i'll take that um so as part of the the mentoring and networking group that we're we're part of, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of syndications that go on there, and you know we thought about doing that initially as well, but then you know we thought it was more beneficial for us to use our money, and if we had made a mistake, it would be on our own shoulders rather than take on other investors' money and maybe potentially make a mistake or because it was our first time, right? So it was, we didn't have experience, so we said, look, let's partner with one other person, learn the business before we jump into the syndication space. And so once we felt comfortable, we, we operated that property and we managed the managers and maintenance um, person on that property for two and a half years. And we said, okay, we've now feel comfortable. We know what we're doing. Um, we've had success here in this, in this space. Let's go ahead and start doing some syndications. So we made a, a decision kind of early in 2018 of, hey, let's go do some syndications. Um, me and my partner uh, closed on our first uh, syndicated deal in uh, February 2018, um, sold our first uh, property, that 54 unit, in October 2018. In October 2018, I closed on a 32-unit deal um, in Baytown, Texas, uh, just outside of Houston here. And then in December of 2018, we closed on a 76 unit and a 44 unit, both in, in the same month. 
2018. End of 2018 was very busy for us. <laughs> kind of crazy with with holidays and everything. We literally closed one after right after Thanksgiving and then run right after Christmas. <laughs> and then uh, scaled up even bigger from there. Uh, went after a 240 unit, closed on that in June of 2018. And that's 2019. Uh, 2019. Sorry, June of 2019. And then closed on another 178 unit deal in November of 2019. And okay. hit a little pause button for now. And of sure. course, 2020 has been a little crazy for me. <laughs> so, so I'm not good at, at mental math in public. You guys are considered public right now. How many units did that get you guys to? That got up to 634. Total. 634 units in essentially 34, 35? Something like that. Yeah, 635. Yeah. <laughs> Over 630 units <laughs> in about two years. Yes. It was... It was a year, actually. Within a year span, uh, we went from selling our 54 units to closing on five others. Um, yeah, because we had the, the first one in February of 18. So, but yeah, basically in a year and a half, we went from one to six. Wow. And at this point, you were, you were syndicating? You were bringing in some outside capital? Correct. Yes. Got it. Okay. Wow. And so your plan going forward is to, to continue this journey. Continue this journey. Um, we, we have a, a goal of reaching um, around 1,000 units, 1,500 units, somewhere in there. Um, we don't want to grow probably too much bigger than that just because it, it becomes a little bit of uh, a headache trying to manage all, all of that. But we'll see when we get there. We, we might continue going and you know, we'll see. But that's, that's the current plan. But I, I understand why you say that because you guys, as we mentioned in the beginning, self-manage. You, you don't have an outside property management company. So you're, you're creating the management company in some way within your own organization. Tell us how you did that and what your self-management looks like. Yeah, so, so our company um, currently, our, the company that we're running is Lumen Capital. Uh, it's a vertically integrated asset and property management company. We kind of have a property management arm and you know investor asset management arm as well. I'm all integrated together. Um, so that basically, you know, it, it was a grassroots process of, of building as we went along. As we acquired different assets, we put on, you know, hired managers, hired maintenance staff, um, now we've hired an executive assistant and also promoted one of our uh, long-term uh, property managers to a director of operations. So putting all those pieces in place that we need to continue scaling and continue to grow. And it's, it's not been easy. I, I, will, I will say it's, it's not been easy. It, you know, we certainly could have literally hand this entire portfolio off to a, a third-party management company and said, take care of it. And we're just managing, you know, the, the property management company from that point. Um, but we, we thought we've heard a lot of horror stories, uh, especially here locally with other investors about their experience with third party management. And we said, no, I, I think because we are so hands-on, we're young, we're, we have the energy to do this. We felt it was much uh, more beneficial for, for us and for, to our investors uh, to start our own property management company and continue to to grow that and scale that. All right. And, and did you end up chatting with any of the property management companies around you or you knew off the bat that you were going to be making this part of your business model? 
we pretty much knew off the bat because we, from our experience with that initial 54 unit deal, we, we really enjoyed having that very hands-on approach and very direct uh, interaction with the managers um, because our, our understanding of working with a third-party management company is it's uh, quite difficult to, to kind of be, you know, having that, that more of a, a direct control of, of what's going on on property. It, yeah. it takes a lot more effort to, to kind of change things quickly. And you mentioned, you know, just how this helps you take care of your investors and, and this is a, a unique model to be this vertically integrated asset and property management company. Um, is this a selling point for you with your, your investors? Is this something that you, you bring up and you harp on when you're talking with them? It, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, you, you certainly have to sell yourself as the, the, you know, operator and part of our kind of, you know, selling point is, you know, we we don't let third-party management um, handle our deals because we want to be there. I want to be sitting in the office with a manager, fixing things that need to be fixed if necessary. So that's definitely a selling point uh, for our investors for sure. Yeah. And our investors are not only investing in the property itself, but they're investing in us as the sponsor. And we want them to be able to trust us with their money and we don't take that responsibility lightly. So. Yeah, that, that's part of why we self-manage. And I mean, I, I self-manage my, my small portfolio here in St. Louis. I mean, of course, I, I hire people out and, and have contractors I work with, but I, I understand that because the management can really make or break how well a deal goes. And it's, it's a hard one to wrap your mind around as you get bigger, the right way to go, because you, you need to make sure that it's not literally you doing all that property management. Obviously, you need some some people and some systems and some support but there's more than one way to build a team so obviously in multifamily at this scale you need a team but does it have to be that you're hiring a third-party property manager or can it be that you create that yourself and certainly there are some trade-offs i'm sure in both ways but i like that you guys have taken this approach as a way to really make sure you're taking care of these assets and especially taking care of the investors in these assets um, and, and sharing that with us. So tell us a little bit, I guess, about some of the, some of the keys that you've found to making this model work and maybe some of the, the pitfalls or the things you've had to, to work on over time. Well, sure. I'll start with the, the keys to this, to making sure it's kind of a combination of both a key and a pitfall. So ensuring that your processes and systems are set in place and everybody complies with that. And obviously, starting from scratch, you're you're creating all these systems and and checklists and everything that you want all your your staff to, to handle. So that creating that, you know, we can mold it the way we want to mold it. But that also is a pitfall of well, now you're responsible for creating all those processes. And if things fall apart, that's kind of on your shoulders. And and so that's kind of a, a pro and con. But you know, I, I think. The, the biggest thing for, for us is to make sure we put the right people in place. I think that is the key to, to really any business and especially property manager or property management because the person that you're relying on to sit in that seat as the property manager, as the leasing agent, as the maintenance supervisor, as the maintenance technician, make ready person, that you have to really trust them because they, they are the people actually doing the work Yes, you're managing them, but ultimately they're the people talking to the residents. They're the ones who are making the units ready. Um, so you have to really trust the people that you have and creating a, a big team. And that's always the biggest thing is, is 
creating the right environment for that team to um, to succeed. But that's yeah. that's the biggest thing that I harp on with with our staff. Absolutely, and I imagine that has taken a lot of effort on your guys' parts. I mean, there are books and blogs and podcasts all over the place talking about how you build teams, how you hire right, how you create that that environment, like you mentioned. Um, what what did you guys do to make sure that you were finding those right people? Have you found good resources or kind of tricks to to how you identify those people? Because, you know, you hire the wrong person and that can be a headache for, for months or even longer. Um, or you have trouble finding the right person that can really delay some progress as well. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. Um, not, not going to lie there. Um, but certainly, I think part of the process is... You know, we've we've done uh, especially with our maintenance uh, staff, we've done you know trial runs. Uh, we basically say, bring on five people, you know, six five five six people, and bring them on for a day. Have you know one of our trusted maintenance uh, supervisors basically work with them um, for that day. We we certainly pay them for their time and everything, but then at the end of that day, you can kind of you can pretty much tell who's going to be good and who's not going to be good after an eight, eight hour day on site, doing the job, doing the work. And so we've done that pretty, um, pretty successfully. And we've hired, um, quite a few good people out of that process. Um, so it's really, a, you know, a trial run for, for them. And then really on the, the leasing office side, taking your time with hiring and really doing all your due diligence, asking the right questions, and you know, making sure it's really a personality thing. It's a gut feeling. Um, Melissa has a very good uh, instinct when it comes to to, to people. So I, I rely on her a lot to to do a lot of the hiring, especially with the the managers. And what I've realized is, experience doesn't necessarily, you know, mean everything. Someone can have. 16 years of experience, but if you can't mold them to your company culture, it's not going to work. So we actually look for um, people who we think we can mold to to do what we want to accomplish with our company. You know, I, it's funny you say that because I just had a conversation last week with someone and we were talking about, you know, team building and hiring. And they said one big pitfall is hiring for experience over some sort of passion or drive that you can then kind of mold to and, and teach to have the level of experience that you need. And so it's that, again, goes down to that personality fit, that culture fit. Is this person going to work, not do the things you want exactly the way you want, but do things in the right way to fit that company culture? And so I, I really like that you brought that up because I think that a lot of people think, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to find someone with the best experience. And not only does that not always work out, but it's also, it can be a lot more expensive off the bat and then it still doesn't work out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Res I don't really care about resumes because you can, you can make your resume look as good and polished as you want. But ultimately you have to have, like you said, the, the passion for what you do, have enjoyment of of what you're doing and it's not just a paycheck to, to that person we're, we're looking for people who want to be in this business not necessarily just for a paycheck yes that's that's you know a big part of it but they also have to have the the excitement of coming on and and, and the biggest thing to to me of creating our own management company is that you are willing to get your hands dirty not necessarily 
getting your hands dirty from you know actually swinging a hammer or changing out toilets or what have you but you know willing to teach willing to mentor those are the two biggest things that that i'm responsible for for our staff because the you know they're only as good as as they can be if you give them the the, the resources and and guidance uh, that you, you you can provide them so yeah absolutely so how big is your team at this point so right now, so we were up to about 15 uh, team members, and, and we certainly call them team members, not employees, because that's the way we treat them. Um, they're part of our, our team. They're not, you know, um, they're not really our employees, uh, at least in my mind. Uh, we were up to 15 um, when we had the, the prior company. Um, now we're at about nine total employees. Yeah. yeah, and that's right. I think we, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but for everyone out there. So you, you guys were up to over 630 units with your, your former partner. And then at one point you guys decided to split Correct. and you guys split up the, the buildings, the units. Um, so you guys now have Lumen Capital with 300 plus units yeah, 300, and 19 members, 350. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Now what has, tell us a little bit because, you know, everyone's going through this struggle right now. 2020 is, whew, it's something else, right? <laughs> so what has this year been like for you in terms of, you know, I guess stability of your existing um, portfolio as well as, as growth? I mean, has it just been one of those years where you're like, you know what, we're prepping for growth again next year because there's not much out there? What are you seeing? Yeah, so 2020 certainly has been difficult. Um, you know, and for here in Houston, kind of end of March, early April, that was kind of the, the crazy time. Nobody knew what was going on. We were preparing for the worst. And thankfully, you know, as time went along, um, our collections have actually held up very, very well, uh, very resilient, actually. We're above 95% of, you know, pre-COVID uh, levels, which we consider that uh, a win. Uh, certainly, because we've heard stories where, where that's not the case for, for other owners, other investors. Uh, so we consider ourselves fairly lucky here in Houston. Um, other other markets may not have been so lucky, but uh, we've been been pretty pretty okay so far. Um, but growth wise in 2020, we've looked at we've looked at a lot of deals, and we, we certainly want to grow. Um, but a lot of people are still wanting premium pricing on, on their assets, which I don't blame them, uh, but uh, we have to stick to our criteria, stick to our underwriting, um, and make sure the assets that we do end up acquiring uh, make sense financially. So yeah, we're, um, we're hoping 2021 will be a big year for us though. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something that everyone's seeing. I'm seeing it too. I've been actively searching all year and haven't found the right fit. Um, and I think it's interesting how we've kind of hit this point where people have been, you know, scared, fear, fearful of what's going on with coronavirus and the economy. And, you know, it's an election year and everything that's kind of culminating to make, thing, make this year pretty crazy, I'll just say. Um, and yet, despite all the, the fears and uncertainties, sellers are still expecting kind of all-time highs in terms of prices or and very low cap rates. And apparently there are still folks out there buying <laughs> at that level too. So it's interesting with this level of uncertainty, how that happens. Um, it kind of feels like a backwards in some ways. Uh, what are you guys doing to, to, I guess, prepare for 2020 and hopefully kind of a settling of some of these factors? 
Well, I think right now we, we're just trying to, again, you know, work on work on our our business, making sure all of our our, you know, policies and procedures and all that kind of uh, stuff is is real tight, um, you know, because this year has been been tough uh, for us uh, operationally um, because, you know, they're obviously here. You know, we, we've certainly experienced our, our own downfalls with you know, some of our, our team members uh, did uh, ultimately get COVID. Uh, so they had to, you know, quarantine from home for, for quite a while. And so that then ultimately falls on, on my shoulders of, of going in there, being in the office and handling operations. And so actually that's been really good for us because then that means I'm in there seeing how things are working and be, be able to tweak, um, you know, the how we do things. So it's actually been, been a, a silver lining of sorts. Yeah, but also like going forward, we are ready to pull the trigger as soon as a deal comes our way. So we've already got our KP lined up by deal number. Mm. I think it took us five deals to find a general contractor that we love. We have our passive network, um, passive investor network lined up. So, um, you know, as soon as we get the deal under contract, we can send an email out to our um, network and say, hey, this is the deal. Let us know if you're interested in investing with us. Um, so yeah, we're ready. That's awesome. And what are you guys doing? You know, is it mostly just relationships with brokers? Is it networking with other owners? What have you guys been doing in your market to identify or hopefully start identifying some of these opportunities? Yeah. So, so really for, for me, it's just talking to the, the brokers that I worked with before. And they're, you know, obviously this, this industry is a small, small industry, small amount of people control a lot of the deals. So just talking to, to the folks that, you know, sold those deals before, you know, and so just talking to them and say, Hey, look, we're ready to buy whatever you guys have in your, your pipeline. Uh, happy to look at um, anything and, and going on tours and, and doing all this stuff. We're actually going on a tour, a couple tours tomorrow. Um, I actually missed out on, on one deal. We were so close. We were, you know, at, at a full price offer on, on one deal and you know, we, we didn't get it, you know, and to, to your point, you know, people are still offering a lot of money for, for these assets, uh, which, which makes sense to me because multifamily is a great place to invest your, your money because what other alternatives do you have? You know, stock market is, is doing great, but it's, I'm not sure how, how propped up it is or, or, or not. And um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there uh, with the election and everything. But yeah, I mean, multifamily is still a great place to, to, to invest. So it makes sense that people are still very, very actively searching. Um, so yeah, Alan absolutely. plays a lot of golf too. A lot of deals are made on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, do I have to learn golf? <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> uh, everybody, every, you know, you, uh, Melissa jokes about that, but um, everybody has their their own different approach. And actually, being being a female in this industry is is actually a, has a lot of benefits because it's very unique to to be in this industry as a as a woman. Uh, so certainly take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's some it's funny where um, people talk about that a lot, and it's true for sure. Uh, especially when you go to, to some, not that that's happened this year, but physical events and conferences and stuff. And, and you can just see, look around the room and you quickly get an idea of how, how few women there are in the industry. Um, but, you know, since starting this podcast, Josiah and I are both constantly looking for, for folks and for guests. And I need to go back and tally, but we might be getting close to 50% of our guests so far being women. <laughs> so it's, I, I love seeing, you know, 
people gravitate towards those who are kind of like them and, and you know you've got some common thread already. And uh, so anytime I see a female investor, I'm like, yep, I'm reaching out to that one right now. <laughs> so so um, yeah, I, I like to surround myself with the female investors. And I think you're right that there, there aren't enough of them yet for it to um, not be unique. So it, there's uniqueness that you can use to your advantage as a female. So Melissa, you and I, We'll have to keep working that angle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, quick question. You're in Houston. How far do you go from Houston or what's kind of your, um, your key area? And do you plan long-term to just stay in that area? Because obviously you're building property management and, and hiring people who are, you know, in a certain physical geographical area that you can actually service. Yeah. So all of our deals are within 40 minutes of our house. And because we self-manage, that's why we've kept everything locally. Um, recently, we have looked at a deal in Austin. Um, and Austin is two and a half hours away from here, so it's still close enough where we can get to it, um, it get to it and back home in a day. Um, but for now, we do tend to, we would prefer to stick in the, or stay in the Houston area. Um, just because we can get to it easily. But if the numbers aren't making sense, we've got to look outside of our market. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there probably comes some adjustments to the, the business model and how you continue or, or maybe adjust your plan for self-management of these assets. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the next two or three years, we, we would like to stick in the Houston, Houston market just so you know we can build our, our team out and make sure everything's running smoothly and then maybe from there we can potentially look at other other markets uh, where it makes sense. Yeah. No, absolutely, it makes sense. Well, thank you guys. This has been really interesting to hear about your path um, and this kind of vertically integrated asset and property management company that you guys have built. Uh, you've had, you've done so much in such a short time. So this is going to be. Um, Super motivating to everyone out there, I think. Before I let you go, I've got two more questions for you. The first one, um, you know, we ask everyone this, it's kind of our, our funny little curveball here at the end. But if I were to write you a check for $10 million and I said, all right, you can't be in real estate anymore ever if you take this check. You can kind of cash out of everything you have, keep all that equity that you've built. Uh, so you're not losing anything here. But if you accept this $10 million, you can never again own, manage, operate, invest in real estate. You've got to find other ways to, to invest or, or create businesses. Would you take the $10 million and run or would you stick with your, your real estate? It's funny because we've obviously been listening to a few of you, know, you guys' podcasts and, and so we're, we've heard this question before and I was just asking Melissa this earlier this morning. It's like, okay, well, some caveats here. Are we not allowed to invest in real estate 100% not even as an LP I, I think the answer will be, be no. yes and you can't invest yeah. at all correct my answer would likely be no um, and the reason I say that is because we're in our mid-30s we have a long runway and I think going forward you know It'd be, I, I think the 10 million, we could surpa certainly surpass the 10 million in, in net worth um, in, in our lifetime for sure. Um, maybe hopefully in, in the next five to 10 years. Um, 
So no, I I don't think I would take it. So because of that, that's the one reason, and two. I think I would be bored, to be honest. <laughs>、um, I like real estate because I I like being you know hands on and doing stuff and and managing the company and building the the company. That that's the part that I really enjoy.、Um, and so I I think I'd just be bored. You know I, I've I've had spurts where I basically taken the entire week off and like Melissa said I I went and played golf, and then I was like okay that that's. If this is all that I would be doing, I would be bored out of my mind, <laughs> and I, I probably couldn't take it. I'd be like, I need to go do something. So,、yep. I I would I would not take the the ten million. Although it's it's close. But... <laughs> it's yeah, tempting, but no, Melissa. What about you? No, real estate is a passion, and.、Um... You know, you'd be taking away my passion. I don't know what else I would do with my life. But also, we're in this to create generational wealth and like to have something to pass on to our children to teach our ch- children about real estate. So, I wouldn't take it. <laughs> Love it. There's no right answer to this question, obviously. But I, I like where you guys are coming from with that.、Um, I like your passion for real estate. I share it. And、uh, yeah, I mean, I'm also mid 30s, so I understand what you're saying. We got a lot of runway. We got a lot of life to live, and、uh, sitting around being retired or semi-retired、uh, probably isn't going to keep folks like us motivated. So, awesome. All right, last question before I let you go. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you. Feel free to give whatever information you want. Yeah, so you can find out about Lumen Capital at www. LumenCP.com, so that's L-U-M-E-N, the letter C and the letter P.com, and Melissa can give her Instagram. I'm fairly active on Instagram at Investor Girl Mel, and I think that's where I first found out about you guys. So, <laughs> Investor Girl Mel, awesome. Okay, thank you, LumenCP.com. Melissa is at Investor Girl Mel. I am at Part Time Empire, and this was Multifamily Mavericks. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.